Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 348. Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 348 you're listening to. My guest today is producer, engineer, composer, musician, and electrician, Mike Blodgett. Mike recently installed a whole set of isolated ground outlets here in my studio. And after, you know, a bit of conversation, I managed to convince him to come on the show because Mike is also a studio owner and, as I said, engineer, producer, et cetera. And, you know, when I went to hire Mike, I felt like who better person to hire than somebody who knows exactly what I'm doing and understands electricity. So it's a no brainer to me. Anyways, I head on over to his studio, Electric Sparky Land in East Oakland, and we have a great conversation there at his place. My first in-person interview since COVID started. How about that? Pretty crazy. Anyways, Mike and I have a great conversation and I'm really glad he's here and we're going to talk about all things audio and electricity. So stay tuned. Mike Blodgett coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let me give you a studio update. All right. So if you're new to the show and you haven't listened very much before, I have been updating the audience on my progress in changing my studio over to a Dolby Atmos mix room. And that entails a series of small decisions that lead up to the bigger picture of the completed studio. It started with some decorative things, some aesthetic things. We did some wood paneled, reclaimed wood walls. They turned out fantastic. Uh, We did some electrical upgrades, courtesy of today's guest, Mike Blodgett, and Mike did a fantastic job. And now I have robust power here in the studio. Also part of the deal was, in short, swapping out old studio furniture for new studio furniture. So recently I've acquired two new racks to put all my gear into. Basically, this is a a spare bedroom in the house, but it's an unusual bedroom in that, strangely, none of the walls are parallel, and I don't know why that is. I don't know who constructed this. I don't know if it was an add-on. I don't know if it was part of the original design of the house. The house was built in the 50s, early 50s. So the, the ceiling slopes, the walls are a little bit askew from one another, and there is a closet in this room that basically operated on uh, a couple sliding doors on a rail. Well, those doors were never here when we got the house. And so what I've done is, is I've turned it into a gear alcove. So instead of having all the gear like right here in front of me, what I'm doing is, is I'm putting all the gear off to the side in the alcove, right? So I've got two new racks. I got them from the company Output. And these are what I guess they call their sidecar racks. And they're put together kind of like Ikea furniture. And, and here's how that went. Uh, the first rack, both racks showed up at the same time, packed flawlessly, um, arrived in great condition. Unpacked it. Inside, there's no directions, which, you know, environmentally, I guess that's a, that's a great thing because they just give you a slip of paper that says go to this web address or click on this barcode with your phone or scan this barcode with your phone. So... I have to say Output's uh, layout of their directions was not very clear in the beginning. It took my old eyes uh, a while to finally find the PDF uh, link because there's a whole series of links and kind of obscured in all of it is a link to get to the PDF of how to put the stuff together. Other than that, there's a, a video where where this where this gentleman is assembling the rack and he makes it look, you know, stone cold easy. And I have to admit, it took me three hours to put the first rack together. Yeah, three hours. I I felt like, wow, this is like Ikea from hell, really. And it was a little frustrating, but once I got it put together, looked great, 
Cut to the chase. The second rack took me an hour. I didn't even have to look at the directions. Once you do the first one and you realize, oh, okay, this is how they're doing it, you know, it works out. So I, w- I will chalk it up to maybe I could have done a better job there, but I'll split the responsibility with output. I think that they could maybe do a little bit better job of laying out the directions. It lacks a little bit in the uh, user-friendliness part of, of that, but... The racks themselves, the wood, the quality of it uh, seems to be fantastic so far. It looks great. It's built well. Uh, They are not sponsoring this show, by the way. They're getting a a bit of a free shout out here. I would say that, you know, they're not everybody's cup of tea, but I really like the design. It really, you know, fits my kind of, uh, I don't know. I like mid-century modern looking stuff. So this kind of fits that bill in my opinion. So the racks are in, the gear is moved. And uh, I'm really liking this setup so far. So I pulled out the old racks and my buddy who bought them and who's going to buy the desk came over, picked up the racks. I've emptied out my desk in front of me. So there's just two big gaping holes of no gear in front of me. The next step is for Sound Anchor to deliver their DAW DAW cart that will become my desk replacement. It's going to be a little different. The whole concept's going to be a little minimalist, and I really look forward to sharing some photos on social media with you. Uh, you can always follow me on Instagram at Working Class Audio and check things out there. I, I do announcements of the show, if you, which you probably know if you already follow me, but occasionally I post pictures of what's going on here at the studio. There's where we stand. Things are moving along right now. There's cables everywhere because, you know, when you do a changeover of gear, you typically end up discovering there's a lot of excess cabling that you will not need in a new setup. So you start to weed that out. And I find that that process is very very, uh, cathartic and very frustrating at the same time because it makes you think, what was I thinking? Why did I buy that cable or this tonnage of cable that I have? In the end, room's going to be great, and I'm not going to post pictures until it's all done because I really kind of want to give you the before and the after and uh, let you see how that looks. So, yeah, I figure by mid-October, I should be pretty much near done and everything should be here. Speakers, we'll get into that whole concept and what that means with the speakers, and we'll get into all that bit at a later date. But until then, that's my rant and studio update. Thanks for listening. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, They've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable, You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality. And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. 
As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button, at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation, and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. All right, let's get to it. Mike Blodgett here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. Thank you, Matt. Good to be here. Well, yeah, we're here at your studio. What do you call the studio? It's a Sparky Land Recording. Is this East Oakland? This is East Oakland, yes. Okay. Somewhat of an industrial area. In fact, your building used to be an old foundry. Yes. Yep. Converted to live-work lofts, I believe, in the late 80s. And uh, I've been here since 2000. And... uh, yeah, it's been wonderful. If I had to move, there'd be no place I could move to because I couldn't afford anything. You just can't find this kind of space. Exactly. I c- could never find this kind of a space for the money I'm paying currently for it. It's just a wonderful old warehouse, super high ceilings. How's the the rent increase been over 20 years? It's been significant, but not as much as the rest of the uh, city has gone. So Mm. I'm still paying a really good price for the square footage for sure. And it's, it's a live work. It's zoned for live work. Yes. So even as a business, do you fall under the protections of rent control? That is a gray area. There's currently some lawsuits going on with some of the tenants and the management over whether or not we are protected Mm. by that. So I guess we're waiting to see that play out. Not quite sure. It's a gray area. What about 20 years ago when you first came here? Was it any different landscape-wise than it is now? No, about the same. I mean, my space was raw. I built out this control room and some of the other infrastructure things. That was the great thing back in the day is you could actually do your own building and stuff. Yeah, no, you know, different people have come and gone, and that's mostly what's changed. What about the leakage from here to the other parts of the building? Is it is it an issue or a factor? No, not really. This quadrant of the building is actually sound-friendly, hmm. uh, but I, I still try and keep things down. I end at 10 a.m., which is the, uh, the sound cutoff in the building. Or p- 10 p.m.? Um, yeah, 10 p.m., exactly. Except on weekends, we can go to uh, midnight. So if I've got a late jam on on a weekend, hmm. it's good to stop at midnight anyway. Generally, yeah. yeah. <laughs> people, people appreciate that. Yeah. Well, we'll come back to the studio. Where did you grow up? I uh, grew up in Reno, Nevada. It was a pretty good place to grow up. A lot of nature. Not a whole lot of culture, but luckily my friends, we found culture wherever we could and... I came down to the Bay Area a lot for concerts and stuff hmm. like that. So that was great to be within driving distance of such a cultural mecca. And yeah, no, it was great. Grew up there. I moved to San Francisco in 95 and moved to Oakland in 2000, like I said. As soon as I could get out of Reno, I did. Yeah. Did you play an instrument growing up? Yeah, I started playing viola in the orchestra in fourth grade. Hmm. In fact, that was kind of my introduction to playing music. I uh, had a crush on this girl up the street from me, and she played viola. She was a year ahead of me. She played viola in the orchestra, so I was like... Strange how that is. Oh, she played viola. I'm going to play viola. I think I love the viola now. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And that was fourth grade. Got into playing viola and found I really enjoyed it, and I loved classical music. So my Classical music's my background, my initial foray into music, Mm. which was cool. It was a great, great place to start. And then uh, come middle school, I got an electric guitar and joined a punk band. So, yeah, that was great. (laughs) 
A little bit of a shift. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Did you stay in orchestra in school? I did until my junior year in high school when I decided to pursue guitar in a band full-time. Hmm. It's kind of one of my regrets. I wish I had stayed with it. I mean, I'm not regretting playing guitar in a rock band by any means. That was incredible and opened up so many opportunities. But I wish I had still stuck with the viola. The day I went and told my orchestra teacher that I was quitting, I swear she got a tear in her eye. And I was, I felt so bad. Yeah. Do you think because you were good and she saw the potential that... Probably. I think she just more... I mean, I, there was no way I was going to be a virtuoso viola yeah. player. But she could see my passion in music and just how much I loved it. And I think she was sad that I was letting that go in the classical realm. Hmm. Do you think there's any going back to that ever at yeah, this time? I tried. I, I rented a viola a few years back and I thought, okay, yeah, if I really practiced a whole lot, I could get back into playing this. But yeah, there's so many other things I'm doing, guitar and drums and all that. So, so no. I have not gone back to playing viola. Well, when did recording come onto your radar? Oh, that was okay. My, I don't even know how old I was. This was probably right around fourth grade as well, maybe sooner. My parents got me an old cassette recorder that looked like the tricorder from Star Trek. Oh, yeah. That kind of style. That style. And I, like that. Uh, I, I was fascinated by the fact that I could capture audio in the world and replay it. And I just recorded everything. And then uh, come, let's see, I guess it was high school. They had come out with the Tascam 4-track recorder. And my friend and I, we were in a band together and more or less taught ourselves really intricate guitar work and how to play Yes and King Crimson and stuff like that. We went in on this 4-track and started doing 4-track recordings. And that was incredible. So, I, yeah, that was kind of my jump into actually recording music and composition. And uh, I still love recording field recordings of natural ambience and stuff like that. Is that something that you participate in to this day? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So, Let's come back to that because that's an interest of mine that I'd love to pick your brain about. Oh, yeah. Cool. You know, you, you moved to Oakland in, in 2000. Yeah. Was recording a part of your life before that? In a professional sense? Yeah, well, it, 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 I wanted it to be. So my dad had a, a manufacturing, he manufactured air cleaners. That was his business. And in his little warehouse area, there was a back room that we could turn into a rehearsal slash recording space. So um, we started doing that, started working with the four-track recorder, and then I moved up to ADATS. So... It wasn't in a professional sense. Let me flash back. So around 88, I moved to Santa Cruz with a band I was currently playing in. Mm. And this kind of seems to be a pattern in my life. We got to Santa Cruz just about the time the music scene died in <laughs> Santa Cruz. So I was working a shitty job. The band wasn't doing so great. So yeah, the starving musician thing wasn't really my cup of tea. So I moved back to Reno, figured out what the hell am I doing with my life. I was working as a janitor at a brake manufacturing place or rehab place and it happened to be the one day that they ran an ad in the paper for electrical apprentices. Happened to be the one day that I got sick of my job and decided to look in the paper. And the rest is history. I, I went and applied, got in and suddenly I was making pretty good money. So I could actually afford to start investing in recording gear, music, a sound system for the band. As an apprentice? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I was making a lot more money as an apprentice than wow. I was as a janitor. But then it just, every year you got a raise and it was through the union. So it was... Yeah, could you... It was set. Break that down a little bit. Like, the steps of becoming an electrician. So uh, it was really just happenstance. I happened upon the article. I took the initiative to apply. Out of all the applicants, they actually accepted me into the pro the apprenticeship program. Is it hard to get in? Um, 
Nah, nowadays, probably not, because mm. people aren't really going for electricians. But back in the day, it was, mm, I wouldn't say hard to get in, but you you really had to show that you were had something that mm. the other applicants didn't, because they didn't take everybody. So I really got lucky in that respect, I think, is what it comes down to. When I turned out as a journeyman, I decided that's when I decided to move to San Francisco. and So this was all in Reno? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So are there titles for the, the steps? Well, apprentice, and then you've got, it's a five-year apprenticeship. So your first year apprentice, second year, up to fifth year. And then you turn out as a journeyman electrician. Then you supposedly know what you're doing and you can travel. And that's that's actually what allowed me to move to San Francisco was I came down here and there was a lot of work in San Francisco at the time. So came in as a journeyman and uh, moved up to foreman. And then they really wanted to prep me for general foreman, but I was like, no, this was right about the time where I had just built the recording studio. And I was thinking, you know, is there any way I can work part-time as an electrician? They weren't open to that very much. And when you say they, who's they? The contractor, the union. You know, it was pretty set. You did your, in San Francisco, it was seven, seven hour days. But there was a lot of overtime too. So it was really like, okay, I've got my studio. Now I need to use it. So I quit my day job as a union electrician with a contractor. And that was about 2006, I guess. It was kind of just in time yet again to watch the studio market crash. And suddenly, you know, everybody's recording at home. Nobody can afford to come to a recording studio. So it wasn't a good time to do that. So I was thinking, oh God, now I'm, now I'm a starving recording studio owner. So then I got my license, my contractor's license, electrical contractor's license. And that allowed me to set my rate, set the hours I was working, make good money, and have time to record and make music with my bands. And so it, that was where I found the balance between work and, and music. And it was when I got my contractor's license and started working for myself. Why didn't you get your contractor's license earlier? Or did you know that that was a possibility? It wasn't really on my radar. I thought you had to be rich to be a contractor. But no, actually, you don't. You just go through a class, apply, and give them the money. And I mean, you have to have the, the background, which I did. I right. Plenty of many years of being an electrician. And you have to have somebody from the industry say that, yes, you would be a good contractor. Oh, interesting. Luckily, I found that, too. Were you just mortified at the idea of going right back into being a union electrician for an, a contractor? Yeah, I really needed, I needed more of the work flexibility than mm. I needed the high paying job at the time. And it's worked out so far. What are the things that, that you've learned that could translate to the recording world as far as business, relationships, business relationships as being an electrician? Well, mostly through being a business owner. That's kind of where I got more of my experience with the, the business side of things, relationships, networking, invoicing, money going out, money coming in, actually balancing somewhat. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still working on the balancing yeah. part, but... <laughs> Interesting. But, so yeah. you you've got a steady income and then you've got autonomy, you've got control right. over how you structure your days. Yep. More or less. I mean, I do have to work around the work, but I do have more or less autonomous in that respect. And that's that position that you're in is much more favorable to you than it was than your position in the past. Yes, definitely. That's that's great. <laughs> Not having anybody telling you, okay, you got to show up here at this time. Exactly. Unless it's you booking the gig. I don't know what it is. Right. I, we may be very similar in that. <laughs> I hate being told what to do. <laughs> right. Exactly. So let's talk about the studio and what it took to get this built. A lot of research. Thankfully, by that, that time I built the studio, we did have the internet. And I did a lot of research on studio design, shapes, materials, 
the side and back walls, I got lucky on that too. A uh, rehearsal studio in the South Bay was, well, they were downsizing. And they got rid of all these furniture partitions. And they said, they're free, come and get them. And what better, you've got the structure for a wall and you've got the sound treatment built in. So that was actually a wonderful uh, oh, so surprise there. Oh, so behind yeah. me? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Those are all furniture partitions, um, office partitions. Huh. And then I built everything else around that using stagger stud two by sixes, fully insulated with resilient channel and soundboard, and then sheetrock over that and plywood on the front. And the ceiling is, is that as well, wood construction with lots of insulation, resilient channel and soundboard. And Did you do it with the help of anybody? Yeah. Luckily, I had a couple friends that were good carpenters. They gave me a hand for sure. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the bonus of being an electrician. You right. can know some people in the trades that are really good yeah. at what they do. Did you essentially just sit down in a big empty space that you rented and think through, okay, how am I going to do this? I have this image of you sitting on the floor, like yeah, exactly. drawing plans. Yep. Out. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> I had to come up with the dimensions, what would make a good control room, and then I worked out what the studio would be outside of that. And what was your goal in setting the studio up as far as functionality and potential well, clients? Yeah, exactly. I really, I love recording, always have. Back in my Reno days, I, I was with a couple bands that actually got to go into recording studios and record, and that just, ah, that was my happy place, I guess you could say. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, my... Really, my thought was I'd quit my day job and be a recording engineer slash musician, and if that worked out, but I could make my money as a recording engineer. And yeah, it hasn't quite worked out, but I've made a little bit of money with it, but mostly I'm supporting myself with the electrical, which gets me to my latest idea of, okay, there's lots of artists out there that could probably be helped by a recording studio, so I'm thinking I'm going to start a record label supposedly there's still money to be made out there in the music industry. I don't know. So I'm thinking if I can help artists come in, I've got this recording studio, got the production chops, I can develop the artists. We can make wonderful music that hopefully people will want to buy and it'll be a nice symbiotic relationship. Yeah. So I'm hoping maybe that'll bring some income into the music flow and I can do that even more. Well, I say more power to you. Andrew Sheps had said he was doing it, and he's found some minor success in that that area. So I can't say it can't be done. Right. <laughs> in this day and age. I know it'll be a hard road, but it is something I love to do. Yeah. At least there's that. Well, you can always stop once you get in if you find that it doesn't work. Right. And if it does work, you'll be happy you tried. That's yeah, for sure. Exactly. Yeah, that's the thing with ideas like that is that, yeah, on the surface, some people may say, oh, why do you want to do that? But you're never going to know unless you try. Right. So more power to you. Cool. Thank I you. I hope it works out. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. 
There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Samply.app. Check it out. So these days with this studio, who do you find that is the clientele that you're working with the most? Mostly my own acts, but I've had a few bands come through here and record. I like to record bands live. Mm in the studio and uh, just catch that magic, that vibe of musicians playing together. And just, I feel like that you get the best performance Mm -hmm. that way. And then, you know, you'll do overdubs and stuff after that, but uh, just capturing that core band performance together is, is key. And luckily I've got a big enough space I can do that. So the biggest band I had in here was kind of a, a 12 piece Afro rock fusion band They were doing stuff like old Thala tunes, and they had some original material as well, and that was great. Uh, Had them all set up live in the recording studio, recorded them, did some vocal overdubs afterwards, but captured the whole vibe of them jamming, and that was was incredible. Love that. And how many square feet do you have here? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not really sure. Big enough to fit a 12-piece African band. Yeah, exactly. It was a tight fit, but uh, they fit. (laughs) That was horn section, guitar, bass, drums, keyboards, percussionist. What's been the hardest part of running this studio in general, but also just in this building? Is Is there any challenges there? So far, not. It's not completely soundproof out in the studio. So when BART does run by, which it does, if I'm recording a loud rock band, not an issue at all. You, you can't even hear it. If I'm recording some really nice, quiet, classical guitar, you know, some sort of solo acoustic instrument, it's an issue. So mm. that's, that's probably the one big issue I have. The neighbors are great. So if I am recording a rock band, I have done as much soundproofing as I can. The neighbors have said it's not outrageous. They actually enjoy listening to the music that's coming through the walls. <laughs> it's not intrusive, I guess you could say. So, so far, that's not an issue. When you set out to put the studio together, when you were making your gear choices, how was that made? So, again, a lot of research and really coming up with a budget and saying, okay, here's my budget. What's the best stuff that? fits within that budget, doing a lot of research in that respect and just trying to match, match the budget with the gear. And then as, you know, the years go by, I'm upgrading gear. And what would cause you to make an upgrade? I can afford something that is literally better than something I already have. Like preamps are probably the biggest upgrade. Okay. Microphones, obviously. Yeah. Like, ooh, that microphone's incredible and I can afford that now and it fills a niche that I'm missing in the studio, then I'll buy that. Like my latest acquisition was the Neumann TLM. TLM 103. Okay. Yeah. I always wanted a really good Neumann vocal mic. It's a great mic. It records vocals, acoustic instruments. Wow. What an amazing mic. And I found it, uh, actually my friend and uh, bandmate found it for me on Craigslist, I believe. Hmm. Somebody was getting rid of it for a really good price. So that was my latest buy. I don't know. That was a huge upgrade in the microphone department. So being that electricity, or being an electrician, I should say, is your main source of income. Mm -hmm. This is a live workspace. And I believe you said before we started, you and your wife have a house in a different part of Oakland. Yeah. But you can live here. You can sleep here. I do have a housemate, too, who stays here. He lives upstairs in his own area, and he's a musician as well, and he's got his own little music production suite up there. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so do you run 
the studio as a business or do you run it just as, as a hobby of yours? I, I run it as a business. Okay. So you can write stuff. Exactly. Off. Right. Exactly. That, that makes a huge difference. Thankfully, I do show enough of an income with the studio to where that is a possibility. <laughs> I'm just not necessarily making a living with the recording. Right. Do you have designs on quitting your day job again? I would love to. I'm getting older and it's getting a lot harder to uh, crawl under houses and through attics and stuff like that. <laughs> so if I could leave that behind and just work on music, I, w- I would be in heaven for sure. We've talked about this before just between us as you were at my house working on my new electrical upgrade. Yeah. Did you do any electrical work here? Yeah, yeah. All the electrical in the control room I did from scratch. Yeah. And in, in a spot like this where you've got a lot of different tenants in a building, mm-hmm. are there any challenges in the electrical system here where somebody's running a drill or, or Yeah, no. Nothing like that? No. Uh-uh. Everybody's got their own feed from the main service room, so nobody's sharing circuits. Oh, great. Yeah. So it's actually as clean as it possibly could be without any sort of advanced uh, electrical, uh, toroidal transformer, clean power setup or anything like that. But yeah, and so far, no. Thankfully, I've we've had good power here. Two things I can't forget to talk to you about. So let's let's talk about this first thing that I said I'd come back to, field recording. Yes. Tell me about field recording for you. What what role does that play in your life? Again, it kind of goes back to my childhood when I first got my old cassette recorder and I just found it fascinating to go out and record ambience, just record an audio experience out in nature or in the city and come back and relive it. So my last recording rig was an old, I believe it was a Tascam portable DAT player back in the day when that was a thing. And I had this Shure VP88, I believe it's right called, stereo microphone. Right. And oh my God, that was incredible. I could take it out and record. But now, oh my gosh, my phone and again, Shure to the rescue, they make a VPM stereo microphone that, I wish I could remember the exact number of it, microphone that fits right into the iPhone. And they've got their own recording software and it sounds freaking great. Yeah. And it's not a DAT machine. That's right. Yeah. Portable DATs, like that just (laughs) seems like such a nerve wracking way to record. Yeah, exactly. So it's purely just for the fascination of what, what it is you're hearing back. Yeah. And I like, I like to use uh, ambience in, in my compositions and recording as well and put music to that. So yeah. That, I wonder why that well. is I, because I am the same way I have, I've talked, I've probably mentioned it on this show before, but I have mini disc recordings done on a portable Sony mini disc recorder. Yep, I had one of those too. Yep. Of just traveling in Europe with my wife prior to having kids and, um, yeah, just listening back to it, it's not that fascinating, but to me it is. Yeah. And I don't know why. Absolutely. I think you're maybe reliving the experience or, and there's something inspiring about it too. Like I can hear a whole musical composition come out of this ambience that I've recorded so I can work with that. And hmm. you know, I guess that's what it is for me anyway. Yeah. And do you, do you continue to do it? Oh, yeah. And you keep it portable by doing it on your phone with the Shure mic. Yep, yep. And the the little Shure mic I've got with me all the time, too. So if I run across something that's great, I can just pop it in and hit record. Yeah. It's great. I highly annoy my family with it. <laughs> I'll bring a recorder. You know, Hey, we're going to go to the zoo today. Oh, I better bring something. Oh, he's going to record. All right. <laughs> great. And they'll they'll walk like ten steps ahead of right. me because they know I'm going to give them the look if they're if I'm trying to record something and then they just start talking or yeah, something. I, Dad's getting pissed off. I get the rolled eyes every once in a while myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was electricity as it pertains to those of us in recording. Yeah. Recently, 
at my house, you installed a set of outlets that were isolated ground outputs. Yes. Or isolated ground outlets. The plugs are orange. Could you, in a nutshell, compare what it is you installed for me and how that compares to a traditional white socket, 15-amp house circuit? Well, I guess the nutshell is that with the isolated ground, your ground for your musical gear is is going straight back to the the panel, the main panel. You're not getting any interference from all the metal work or any other electrical that's going on within your house. Like you said, somebody running a drill or something like that. Meaning that you installed four separate boxes and each one had a total of four plugs in each right. or four outlets yep. for a total of 16. And when you say isolated, that means that the ground, those four boxes all share the same ground. Yes. And it's coated. It's not It's not a raw copper cable. Right. Yep. Insulated copper. And that goes directly back to the, the circuit The box. main panel. The yep. Your main brain. junction where all your, your grounds come together. And it's not touching any mechanical parts along the way. Right. Okay. And a regular house circuit doesn't work like that. Right? Right. Residential can be different. It depends on what materials. If you were, if your whole house was done in uh, metal clad cable, that ground could potentially become an antenna, which could bleed into your audio signal. Mm. Whereas if you have the isolated ground going back, you're totally separate from that metallic array or grid within your building. Residential power is fairly clean, though. I, I know a friend of yours had said if you run a piece of Romex from the panel to your outlet, you've essentially got an isolated ground. The difference is not very many people actually run that Romex from the panel right to their outlet that they're using. All your outlets pretty much share the same ground, and that's where the, the interference, the, uh, the hum, the loops can come into play. Whereas with your isolated ground, everything's sharing that one ground. It's clean back to the, the ground point at your service entrance and greatly minimizes the chance of any of that happening. And that's why, and I plagued you with questions the day you came over. <laughs> but essentially, like if you've got two outlets in a, in a room that are uh, residential outlets, mm -hmm. we could plug... Let's say we uh, we have one piece of gear plugged into one outlet and another piece of gear plugged into another outlet. And then we connect those two pieces of gear over an audio cable. We get a ground loop yep. or a hum because the grounding on those two outlets is not necessarily shared and it doesn't form the same type of ground that an isolated ground Right. Form. I actually do have a, an instance at the studio here with that. If I plug an amplifier into an outlet out in the studio space, and then I plug it into a DI box, coming back into the control room, I get a hum. So even with the ground lift. So I found that in that instance, I have to run an extension cord from my control room out into the studio to plug in their amplifier into that. That way everything's on the same ground and the same circuit from the control room and it eliminates that ground hum. Because in that case, you've got two outlets that are not sharing the same ground. Right. Okay. Yeah. Electricity uh, is something that a lot of people, you know, unless they're doing a, a proper studio build out, it's kind of overlooked. Right. And somewhat of a, an Achilles heel, if you will, for home studios. It can be. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to report things have been sounding great, clean. Yes. There's no buzzing <laughs> <Awesome>. whatsoever. <laughs> and there's more options for plugging things in, which has right. been great. Cool. What should audio people be looking for when hiring an electrician? Oh, boy. I got lucky with you because right. <laughs> you're an audio guy. Yeah. And you talk the talk and and that's you, you could identify with what I was doing. But most people right. are not in that unique situation. That's true. Wow, that's a great question. 
Well, I guess you could start if you are a, a studio and you have a home studio and you want some power run out there. Maybe start by asking them, can we do this with an isolated ground? And if they know what you're talking about, then they've probably probably got a pretty good sense and uh, it's probably a pretty good fit. If they're like, isolated ground, what? Then you might want to question it. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) And why are the isolated ground outlets orange? Just identify them, I think. Okay. That's a code thing. Exactly. I wonder if it's the same way in Europe. Right. That's a very good question. I'm not sure. Sorry, folks in Europe, if you're listening. Right. We just don't know the answer. <laughs> We're operating on half half the voltage, right? Right. Yeah. Half the voltage and a little more of the hertz. Yeah. I'm operating on half voltage and need more coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that that that's that question. Is there any danger in using a ground lift? Only if something goes wrong, <laughs> I think. Otherwise, you know, in a all things created equal, everything's fine. Sure. Yeah, it's fine. But you do hear those horror stories, which, you know, we're back in the day of somebody stepping up to their microphone and getting blown back five feet because <laughs> getting shocked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. But yeah, so I would say only if something goes wrong. But okay. if your thing's fine, you need to capture the audio in that moment. And to do that, you have to use your ground lift. And that works great. And we installed a 20-amp circuit yep. for me. Mm-hmm. But that's not really necessary most of the time these days. Would you say like in home studios that have minimal gear, a 15-amp circuit might just do the job? Yeah, 15 amps fine. But if you're going to run a, a new circuit, you might as well go 20 amps. Yeah. Just in case. It doesn't cost that much more. Yeah. And we know it's 20 amp when the top part of the plug, there's usually two straight lines up and down. Right. But on the left-hand one, not only are there two vertical lines, on the left one, there's a horizontal line alongside. That just means your outlet is rated for 20 amps. Mm. So you could plug something into that outlet that runs off 20 amps. The only way to tell really what size circuit you have is the size of the circuit breaker, if it's 15 and 20. And then you're hoping that if it is a 20, that you've run number 12 wire and not number 14 wire, which is only good for 15 amps. That's good to know. How long have you been an electrician, did you tell me? 33 years now. 33 years. Okay. So, (laughs) yeah. Audience, if you're listening and you're wondering, does this guy know what he's talking about? I would say so. (laughs) Especially if you've gone the path that you've taken. You've been an apprentice, journeyman, and you've worked your way up the electrical ladder, we'll say. Right. Are you a spender or a saver? Now, I'm more of a saver. Okay. For sure. Yeah. And your comment earlier about getting older and making it harder to crawl under houses and do that kind of a thing. Are your your spending and, and your your financial habits, are they based on the fact that you would like to stop or slow down at being an electrician and focus more on being an engineer? Yes. At this point, I'm, I'm really trying to get my space top-notch so I can hopefully record and produce quality music that people will want to pay money for. And, I mean, thankfully, through my years as a union electrician, I've got a really nice annuity fund saved up for retirement. So that's another bonus of going that route for sure. But do you save for retirement beyond that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you ever scratch your head about like what one makes as an engineer versus what one makes as an electrician? (laughs) Yes. I mean, oh gosh, my brother calls that the uh, the golden handcuffs. Like, I make a lot more money as an electrician than I probably would as just a straight-up recording engineer unless, you know, I was working for, I don't know, a top-quality studio doing yeah big-budget records. But where I'm at, I make a lot more money as an electrician than I do as a recording engineer. So it's hard to <laughs> let that go. I understand. So where can people find out more about you in the studio? 
Well, electricsparkyland.com is is for the studio. I'm currently, it's a very old website. I'm working with a friend of mine to upgrade the website, so. Bear with you. Bear with me, exactly. Yeah, this um, is the number one thing everybody always says. My <laughs> website's kind of out of date. Right. Oh, boy. So uh, I'm working on that. It's a work in progress, but it is valid. The record label is going to be called Omnidor Records. I'm currently filing for the trademark for that, so hopefully that goes through. So hopefully you'll be able to find me through that soon. Yeah, absolutely. In the next year or so. Well, thanks for having me over. Yeah, thanks, Matt. It's been a pleasure. I'll put a link to the show notes for the audience to to hunt you down and find you. Cool. And I have a funny feeling somebody's going to reach out and ask you an electrical question. Right. <laughs> <laughs> totally So I hope fine. that's okay. Totally fine. Yeah. Right now. Well, thank you, Mike. Thanks, Matt. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for, giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right. Pretty affordable. Head on over to CaliAudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Mike Blodgett here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Hey, remember, if you like the show, head on over to Apple Music and leave a positive review, five stars, a written review, whatever you feel like doing, and uh, share it with the world. I'd really appreciate it. But that's all for me today. I want to thank the crew. That includes Anne-Marie Plow on the editing, Cliff Truesdale on the Working Class Audio theme song, and the magic voice of Mr. Chuck Smith here at the top of the show. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Follow us on social media. And until next time, my friends, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.